Hey, I'm Jason. <laughs> I'm Sean. Welcome to Year One Comics. We're doing uh, Fantastic Four still, unfortunately. You know, you begged for years while we were doing Avenging Hour. Like, oh, our next podcast is going to be Fantastic Four. It's going to be Fantastic Four. And now that we're in the middle of it, I'm like, oh. I know, but it could be worse. We could still be reading the Avengers. I'd like to do what I've been doing on every episode so far, I think, and that's use this as an excuse to talk about the Avengers. <laughs> I think it comes up in, a, in at least one or two of my write-ups still. So I got through Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run. Oh, yeah. So excited to be through Bendis. Yeah, well, yeah. Jonathan Hickman, I think, is worse. What? Oh, my God. His Avengers run is so bad. But he brings in so many new characters. That's part of the reason. He commits almost all the same cardinal sins that we complain about Bendis doing. His Avengers, most of them don't have their own personalities. So they do have their own personalities. Their personalities are nothing like their personalities usually are in any other book you've ever read them. He does many issues that focus on one character. It's just one person's stuff. That's the run with, like, AIM Island and all that stuff, isn't it? Yeah, but it's mostly the stuff that leads up to Infinity. Okay. I like some of what he does, but generally... Maybe I, I didn't read his early part of it. I do not like his Avengers run. I'm now past Jonathan Hickman and into, like, 20... a past Infinity. His run's not that long. That's the one saving grace of it, but I really... Uh, Maybe I read a second run of his. His Avengers Illuminati. I'm sorry, he calls it New Avengers. It's not an Avengers comic book. It's kind of like, it reminds me of Nick Spencer's Secret Avengers, which is a S.H.I.E.L.D. comic book. Marvel, stop putting Avengers on the name of anything you feel like uh, will help. They used to do this with the X-Men back in the 90s, where every book was an X book, even if it wasn't. X-Avengers, X-Fantastic Four. I like Nick Spencer's run. On Secret Avengers? Mm -hmm. It's not a bad comic. It's not an Avengers comic. And uh, what's his name? Alex Cott. Yeah. His run's nice, too. Anyway. It's interesting. Point Kyle, is, Moore's art. I'm so glad that we're not still doing the Avengers, because after... I, I realize that I'm reading these books relatively quickly, and how many episodes they would have taken, and so how many episodes all I would have done has been complaining about comics. And we don't like to do that here. We like no. to look at comics and say how much we love them. Yes. And Jason, you're enjoying this Fantastic Four run, aren't you? These are my favorite comics I've ever read. So we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit I'm on our... i to read them again again. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit on our process here to admit that we tape these shows ahead of time. What? Because we wanted to make sure we had the entire miniseries in the can before we started releasing them, and you got five episodes, and then you didn't get anything for a month and a half. We actually started recording these before Avenging Hour, which is really weird that we keep talking about Avenging Hour. I, well, you know, we're prescient. I'm a watcher. We do feel the need to talk about it in our timeline, since the last time we recorded, Stanley has died. Yes. Which, first of all... On Veterans Day. Observed. It might... <laughs> <laughs> I just know because I had the day off. It might sound a little odd, first of all, in the first few episodes of this show when we talk about Stan Lee and we don't mention the fact that he is dead, because he was not dead when we recorded those episodes. He was not. In fact, I never thought he would ever die. Right? You began to believe that, like Betty White, he was going to live, or Dick Van Dyke. Now, don't say that, because now by the time we end up finishing this series, they'll both be dead. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're not within our purview. They can they can die. We don't have to talk about them. But we felt we had to take a minute. Can I talk about when Dick Van Dyke played Dr. Doom on the TV show? What TV show? <laughs> I just wanted to see the Dick face. Van Dyke show because that would be amazing. <laughs> that live action Fantastic Four that was on in the sixties. You remember that? Rosemary is the Invisible Woman. <laughs> so it would be Carl Reiner as, okay, as Mr. Fantastic. Ed Asner, wouldn't it? No, oh, no, wait. I'm thinking of a different show. You're thinking of the Mary, oh, Mary, Mary Tyler, Tyler Moore, Moore show. Yeah. Ed Asner would be the Mole Man. I think we all know that. <laughs> Ed Asner still is the Mole Man. <laughs> Another guy who I thought would be dead by now, but yet, he just keeps getting smaller. <laughs> like Danny DeVito. They just shrink. They're, they're, like, they're going to become black holes. He's just, compressing, yes. What were we talking about? Stanley. Oh, Stanley, right. So we should probably say a few words about the passing of Stanley. 
Jason, what do you say? I was out drinking with friends when I found out, and I literally cried at the in the bar we were in. That dude was one of my heroes. You don't notice it because we've said good things and we've said bad things about him, but like he's been a constant in our lives since we were little kids. He introduced all the cartoons like Spider Man and Amazing Friends. We always, you know, read Stan Soapbox in the comics. He was always a part of what we did. It's funny because a lot of people are saying, you know, this is such a, a loss, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, no one can take away from the fact that Stan Lee really did help to create the Marvel Age of Comics. He helped to make Marvel what it is today, that being said. And probably shaped comic books themselves, regardless of Marvel. Oh, for sure, because when you look at what DC started to do in the late 60s, early 70s, when they went, wait, why are our sales, you know, why are we losing sales to this stupid little company across town? And probably the impetus for Image as well for those guys to think, hey... We're better than this, and we can go do something different. Sure. I mean, you cannot underestimate what Stan Lee did to the landscape of the comics industry. That being said, when you actually look at his books, like, I miss him more as the narrator of Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Oh, sure. And as the I figurehead do, of Yeah, that I comics. ever had as a writer. He was the goodwill ambassador of comics. Yeah. The only people that could say horrible things about him are people like Bill Maher and Donald Trump. Ugh. He was, as you say, like a fixture. And that's how I miss him more as a symbol <laughs> He was a horrible writer. The horrible's a little strong, but... Well, we didn't go over these comics yet, so... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, certainly I think we can all agree that he was limited as a writer. He was a good creator. I'm not sure that he was good at facilitating his creations once they were... (laughs) Once they existed. You know, it was funny because the New York Times wrote an article about... This woman in there wrote an article about how much she missed Stan Lee and what he did for female characters. And I'm like, have you read any of the comics he wrote with female characters in them? Because they are not good. You know, some of the characters that she cited, like Jean Grey, first of all, he wrote like six issues of the X-Men and left. So he did nothing for Jean Grey. And most of the characters, most of the female characters he wrote, I mean, come on. I mean, we all remember the issue of the of the Avengers where the Wasp was beaten by a tree branch. And where she had to leave the room to go make coffee. Yeah. I mean, this is not a man who, you know, was really standing. I mean, yes, he put female characters in his superhero groups, but come on. Yeah, I would think that's probably more of what people are looking at is, you know, if you compare them to DC, they had Wonder Woman. And then in Marvel, you had the Invisible Woman, and you had Wasp, and you had Jean Grey, and like like early on when the universe, when Marvel Universe was first created, they put enough female in there to go. Oh, it's true. That's that different. is that is a point. I would argue that Wonder Woman singularly is more powerful well, sure. than all of these other heroes <laughs> uh, collectively. That being said, when we do Year One Justice League of America, we will see that Wonder Woman was the Justice League's secretary. Mm, yes. And because she was the woman, she was responsible for cleaning their headquarters. Mm-hmm. And there is a panel with her in an apron. So, nice. you know, I guess maybe at least Sue never, I don't think Sue ever had to wear an apron. I suspect, I've always suspected Sue Storm cannot cook. She made their costumes, didn't she? That she sews. They all sew. That's, that's her. well, of course, she's a girl. That's what girls do. <laughs> so Scarlet Witch did too. Anyway, point being, I, I you know, uh, uh, even to the point that Wasp became a fashion designer, right? <laughs> that's right. Wow, I'd, oh, if I never put those dots together before. That being said, Stanley certainly, again, you can't underestimate what he did for comics, for especially for Marvel, but really for the whole industry, and he will be missed for that, if for nothing else. Yes. So, what do we do on this here podcast? We talk about Thanksgiving dinner. How was your Thanksgiving? <laughs> well, now we're real. We're, I was going to say. I mean, we already know it's within a couple of weeks of Stan Lee dying. So. My Thanksgiving was, was fine. Yours? Good, good. Watched a lot of Mystery Science Theater. 
I am watching Mystery Science Theater 3000 now. I'm loving the new stuff. I'm disappointed there's only six episodes of this season. I'm hoping that Netflix brings it back again for another it's like, season. Uh, they're like British television now. They do six episodes a season. Which, to be fair, I mean, six episodes for them, they're like an hour and 20 minutes a pop. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of, it's still a lot of television. I never really noticed. I, I don't know if I told you, we, we cut cable and we're doing like streaming TV now. And there's this channel or this group of channels called Pluto TV. And one of the... Channels available on Pluto TV is an MST3K channel and also a, a Rift Tracks channel by tangent there. Uh, so I've been watching a lot of the old episodes and I didn't realize compared to now how few jokes right? they told. The jokes per minute in the new MST3K, it's the crazy. JPMs are huge. They, there is usually not more than I would say 20 seconds it goes by without a joke. Rift Tracks especially, it sometimes it seems like five minutes go by without a joke. And even the old MST3K, you'll go a, a couple of minutes with nothing. And it kind of sucks because they're funny, but you can't laugh because then you'll miss something. Yes. <laughs> or if you turn to your friend, you know, you're like, ha he said blah, blah, blah. By the time you said that now, you've missed like two, three other jokes. Yeah. It's, it's a little rough. It's good and it's bad. Yeah. So I, I enjoy the more of the breakneck pace, and I think it's probably necessary. In it today's. makes the movies go a little quicker, too, because some of those can really slog on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we yeah. should probably – we're 10 minutes in, and we haven't talked about a comic yet. Oh, I was trying to d- d- uh, distract you. Because – and this is a I comic I really want very, wanted. very few notes on this one. Fantastic Four, number seven. It is from October of 1962. And hey, guess what? Fantastic Four is now monthly with this issue. Goes monthly because people love this comic so much. They can sell one every 30 days instead of one every 60 days. So wait, what you're telling me is we could have stopped this show after six episodes because it would have technically been year one? <laughs> uh, uh, no, but I applaud that. That's a good try. Let's recap. What happened last issue? It doesn't matter. None of it matters. No, that's the wonderful thing about about the Silver Age of comics is rarely is continuity that important. It's like South Park. They come back and all the characters are alive. Everyone's still on the team. We learn from the cover of Fantastic Four number seven that apparently the human race hates the FF so much that someone is spending the money to put an ad on a billboard saying that they are wanted dead or alive. There's an angry mob with torches and pitchforks. I'm wondering if the pictures on this billboard are supposed to be photographs of the FF or if they're artist rendering. <laughs> Giant paintings. Because <laughs> the thing looks so depressed. <laughs> Just looks. Well, the human torch looks like a skeleton on fire. Yeah, the human torch has almost no facial features. That's creepy. This is kind of why I was wondering what happened between the last issue and this issue that everyone wants to run the Fantastic Four out of town. What? Well, we're going to find out. There's another one in, a, in an episode or two where I'm wondering what happened as well, that there's no... You got to wonder, like, after you close the cover of the comic, what's going on? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I kind of get the impression with these, because there's not strict continuity, it's not like the panel of issue five, the last panel, sends you directly into the first panel of issue six. I believe that they were kind of suggesting that a month was going actually hmm. going on between issues. Things were going on in between and we would just pop in and exactly. observe. And we talked about that in the early issues. We were like, how did the Fantastic Four become so widely known? They've had one case. I have the feeling that there was many cases after that first one that we just don't see. It's an interesting conceit for a Marvel Comics universe. We're used to the sliding Marvel scale of time where, you know, three weeks in Marvel time is like 16 years in our time. But in the early issues of Marvel Comics, they actually were trying to keep... They were trying to keep to an actual scale of time because in Amazing Spider-Man, after he starts out as a sophomore, I believe, and after two years, like by issue 24, he's graduating high school and then going to college. And they were, and then I think... He's in college for 17 years. Yeah. Then they realized, <laughs> wait a minute, this is not going to work. He's going to be dead in four years. I don't think they realized how popular these comics were going to be. 
I, you know, when they started doing them, I thought, I don't think they that it occurred to them that, wait, this is something that's going to run for 60 years. I just think it's kind of interesting as a kid to read this back in the 60s and you, you read an issue and then, you know, you're going about your daily life and going to school and doing your thing. And then you wait when the next one comes out and you want to see what happened. And it's almost like you don't know these people. You don't spend every day with them. So the next issue you get, you're like, oh, what did they do while I was away or while they were away? Or sure. I'm across the country and they're in New York and it took a month for this comic to get to me. So what's happened in the meantime? And, and you can kind of think of as a kid, we'll see in, a, in an upcoming issue when kids are playing Fantastic Four and you might consider as kids, you're like, well, I'm acting out the adventures. It, it allows your imagination to go, well, I can act out the adventures. I can write my own adventures of what they're doing that I'm not seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I can fill in the blanks. Or- yeah. I can see as a kid where that could be appealing. That reminds me of the one Avengers issue we watched. Wasn't there a kid what, that we watched that we reviewed? <laughs> Wasn't there a kid wearing a Fantastic Four shirt? I believe somebody so, yeah. called, and called his uncle a pickle or something yes, like that? Yes, yes. <laughs> ah, your uncle's a pickle. You're a pickle eater. I think it was your uncle's pickle a pickle eater. eater. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which nowadays would have a completely different connotation yeah. than it probably did in the 60s. Number seven is Prisoners of Kurgo. Master of Planet X. And we start out with the aforementioned Kurgo reclining in his space chair. Kurgo, who looks like someone painted the face of a Lhasa Apso on the side of a light bulb. (laughs) Yes, well, Kurgo has something that we saw a lot in the Avengers, and that's magic TV cameras. Mm -hmm. He can see anything other than that, or the Fantastic Four have some kind of pay-per-view web series where you can watch their exciting lives inside their headquarters. Yeah, we learn right off the bat that the, the planet they're on is dying and they only have two spaceships, and yet they have managed to get an interstellar camera into the Fantastic Four's living room. I well, they had some weird priorities. Well, And they only have two spaceships because, of course, that makes no sense because they never felt like space traveling, so why make other spaceships? You, obviously, they're lazy. They named their planet X. <laughs> right? Yeah, this is the planet of the underachievers. <laughs> How about just X? That's like that's why we see Kurgo lounging in his space chair for the first the, in the first panel, surrounded by little trays of food. So what we see is that Kurgo, as you say, Planet X is going to be hit by an asteroid, meteor, something like that, yeah. comet. Yeah, there's some giant thing hurtling towards it. And so they've only got two spaceships. So what Kurgo is doing is he is sending one of those spaceships with his invincible robot to Earth to find the only people he thinks can save his planet. Which would be the Fantastic Four. Because he's been watching their soap opera yes. on his television. He's, he gets the cartoon. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that they're the only beings in the universe that can save his planet. But Especially since his world has created interstellar space flight. And, uh, yeah, exactly. And, and the Fantastic Four are still like monkeys on a planet. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> they still communicate via flare technology. These people are smarter than us. So the Fantastic Four, meanwhile, on Earth, Johnny is sitting in an Earth chair. I'm not sure. A, a chair that seems to to be camouflaged to blend into the wall. The FF have camouflaged chairs in their headquarters. It's just a drawing of a chair against the wall. <laughs> anyway, the Fantastic Four are supposed to be going to Washington, D.C. because they are being honored at a government dinner. That happens all the time. Oh, yeah. But nobody wants to go. Johnny is afraid that if he goes, he'll get nervous and flame on, which we've never seen happen. And I'd be concerned if it does. <laughs> if every time, first of all, you do not want to be in the bedroom with him. If he gets nervous or excited and flames on. But second of all, he seems like he would be a danger to everyone everywhere. You know, this is the first time that I've noticed, and it comes up later on, that Johnny is just in flames. He He's thinking about, oh, I could suddenly burst into flames. But then an issue or two later, we'll see him in the Baxter building just like hanging out in flames. Yeah, he stands around in flames a lot. Seems like a dumb thing to do. 
The other thing we're seeing here that we're going to see a lot of in the future is the FF talking about or imagining something, yeah. and all four of them have to imagine their their scenario, and we get to see it played out. Yeah, space fillers. The Thing's scenario is that he'll be dressed up in his overcoat, hat, and scarf like normal, but somebody will apparently rip his scarf off, as people do. People will see that he's the Thing, he'll get angry, and he'll start destroying Congress. This really bothers me because if they're invited there, doesn't everyone already know that he's the thing? It bothers me for many reasons. First of all, both Johnny and the thing, you're like, so your concern is that you don't have any self-control, <laughs> which you know, people are going to see I'm ugly and then I'm going to destroy things for no reason. <laughs> exactly. Also, I, I don't understand why the thing in his imagination bundles up like some sort of, of Inuit because they know he's on the team. But he wears a tux underneath it. Like, he uh, he makes it clear he doesn't have any plan on taking the coat off. So why do you go to the trouble to put a tux on? Why does he just wear his normal blue diaper? Well, there's that, too. But you've been invited there. They know who you are. To continue this, the story of... Sue's also concerned that she's going to lose control of her powers. And turn invisible. Which, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so you disappear, Sue. Woo! What else is new? Even when you're there, you're not really there. In any case, Reed's like, you're all a bunch of sillies. Go get ready. We're leaving. So Johnny goes to take a shower. These first six pages are just a waste of time. And the thing turns the shower on to super hot, and Johnny bursts into flames. Because water bursts you into flames. And it makes steam everywhere. And so Reed looks around to try and find out what's causing the steam. I love that he's sticking his head out of an air duct. And it's two-dimensional. <laughs> he's sticking his head out of it. It's completely flat. In any case, they realize that the thing's at stake, and Reed tells them they're acting like children. And hey, even Reed doesn't want to go to this dinner, because he's in the middle of an important experiment. With rocket fuel. But, you know, they have to go to the dinner. They've been asked by Congress. And as you say, all of this is pointless filler. Mm. It's fun, though. Is it? No. But it's supposed to be fun, though. In the meantime, the flying saucer with the invincible robot is heading towards Earth, just as the Fantastic Four are hopping in the Fantastic Car and zipping away. The ship lands, the invincible robot gets out, and he... Where did he land? Is he in the desert? <laughs> A lonely valley, hmm. unseen by human eyes. But didn't they scramble a squadron of jet fighters to? Get him? Yeah, he did. The humans do see him, and they do scramble a squadron of jets, and he just flies right through the jets. And lands. And lands. And then they can't find him. Nope. Mm -hmm. So the robot has a device with him. It's an atomic scanner. Okay, let's be clear here. <laughs> yes, let's explain this. It should not be called an atomic scanner. He is from space. It should be called a space scanner. He came in his spaceship. He's a space bot. It's a space scanner. Oh, okay. But in the, 19, in the 1960s at Marvel, everything could be preceded with something denoting nuclear energy or radiation but is the scanner scanning space or is it scanning atomic structures i don't think it's actually scanning either you, you wouldn't name it after where it came from you would name it after what it did well it's, it's located in the fantastic four is it a fantastic scanner perhaps <laughs> copyright <laughs> anyway the the robot uses his space scanner to to find the fantastic four who we know are now arriving at the capitol in washington dc mm -hmm. where they're given a trophy <laughs> For being fantastic. Yeah, they do. The government often gives out trophies. They do, yeah. We're well known for that. They want a trophy for showing up. Participation trophy. What is on the table in front of Mr. Fantastic? A pile of lettuce. I don't know what that is. A moldy turkey. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's disturbing. But I think a lot of comic artists, you see these in comic strips a lot, if you ever read Mary Worth, a lot of comic artists have trouble drawing food. Okay. 
You it looks like it. Jack Kirby has trouble drawing cameras. <laughs> or he just can't stop. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Some of them look generally like cameras might have looked like in the 1960s. But this guy, I guess, is going to show them a film strip or... Kirby Creations. It's an atomic camera. <laughs> really? I'm just going to let that go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Once the robot has located them, he turns on his hostility ray. Yeah. Making everyone in the area angry at everybody else. Except the Fantastic Four. They are immune. We see some scenes of of domestic bliss. Uh, Wives, of course, bringing their husbands dinner. Because that's what they do. So is this a hostility? So, yeah, this woman is bringing her husband dinner. And all of a sudden she gets frustrated and she dumps up. Apparently she's bringing him strawberry ice cream. Yeah. But she dumps it upside down on his head. And I'm wondering, is this a hostility ray or is she just now woke? Has mm. she now realized that the patriarchy is keeping her down? Well, you would think. But then you go to the next panel. It's two guys fighting. So It is two guys fighting for no apparent reason. In any case, this makes its way to the Capitol. The congressman who is giving a speech about how wonderful they are all of a sudden starts saying how horrible they are. And as you say, the Fantastic Four isn't affected. But everyone else hates them. I believe... They start throwing things at them, including what I think is a cream pie. And I'm wondering if the Three Stooges were at this dinner. <laughs> and a tin can. Where did that come from? So the, basically the rest of this this next action scene is the Fantastic Four trying to get away from normal humans, which not that difficult. Except that the thing lifts a wall up in a building? Yeah, the thing seems to pull a wall away from the wall. Fully intact. A whole wall. And then he hides behind it. Yeah, is that supposed to be another room? He, he makes no sense. No, I think he's in the. He pulled the insulation out, and he's like in between the walls. <laughs> and then apparently digs underground because we then see the other Fantastic Three in the Fantastic Car, and the thing is crawling up, bursting out of a street, bursting out of a street underneath a bus. And I don't know how he got there or why he's there, but they pick him up and off they go, zipping away. They notice the robot has gotten back in his spaceship. And they notice that, and so the Fantastic Four, so the Fantastic Four has no roof. Right. So they apparently have a very elaborate set of seatbelts, and you can belt in your legs, and... Yeah. So the Fantastic Four, Fantastic Car can go upside down, and it doesn't rain members of the Fantastic Four <laughs> and the populace. It's interesting that the only person we see getting belted in is the is the, is the one who can fly. Who can fly. Yeah. So, in any case, the FF cannot lose this spaceship. They go back to the Baxter Building, land on the roof. The robot lands after them, and he tells them... You need to come with me because everybody here hates you. I'm the only one who can help you. Here, I'll show you a picture of what it looks like. He pulls out an incredibly cool-looking portable self-contained TV receiver. Portable? It's bigger than him. (laughs) I'm assuming it folds up. I do actually like the design on it. It doesn't make any sense at all, but I absolutely love it. It's one of those Kirby things that we haven't really seen a lot of yet. But in any case, the, uh, the robot tells them, you know, apparently the entire city... It's interesting because the hostility race seemed to make people hate other people. But now it seems to make everybody hate the FF because mm-hmm. everybody is swarming around the base of the Baxter building rather than like beating each other up. Yeah. And Kurgo tells, or sorry, robot, the space Kur- bot. Kurgo's robot. Kurgo's robot tells them that, look, if you don't come with, a, come with me, they're going to capture you. They're going to spray the human torch with. Uh, here we are again, showing what's going to happen to each individual member. They're gonna throw. They're gonna put him in in some kind of fire retardant foam. They're gonna put some beeper on the invisible woman so you can always hear her. They're gonna put the thing in an electrical energy cage. Mr. Fantastic, in a fishbowl. 
we'll figure out something to do with Mr. Fantastic. They never actually say, everyone else is specific, but with Mr. Fantastic, they're like, we'll figure out some way to keep him out of, out of trouble. I, I, I think that's because it doesn't really matter what you do to Mr. Fantastic. He's going to be pretty much useless no matter what. And so in any case, the FF say, fine. We'll go with you. And there's a panel I really like as the FF get on board the spa- the, the spaceship with Spacebot. Is it the panel away. covered in text? No, it's not that one. Look at all that. <laughs> it is the panel covered in text. Uh. Because the thing, the thing says to read, he's like, why are we going with him? You could have figured out a way to get us out of that, which he could have. Yes. And Reed's like, I want to see what's going on. I'm curious. And I like that panel because, first of all, the comic book acknowledges that they really probably could have figured their own way out of this. And second of all, because this is what separates the FF from other comics. Like, in another comic, that would seem like a cop-out. Reed being like, I'm curious, I want to go. But in this comic, it makes perfect sense. Because for the next 60 years, every time Reed almost kills his family and friends, it will be because (laughs) he's like, I was curious, I wanted to do it. You know what else makes perfect sense? What's that? A giant 10-foot inflatable boa constrictor for (laughs) $2.98. So lifelike, you'll expect it to hiss because there is nothing more lifelike than inflatable things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we are uh, the 1960s ads are amazing ads now i'm gonna have to try and remember to take a picture of that for the instagram <laughs> and i'm never gonna remember <laughs> the title of this next chapter 24 hours till zero so the ff land on planet x with space bot and are introduced to kurgo <laughs> introduced to the walking lemonhead and he tells them what we already know the planet is going to Oh my god, and then he shows us examples of what's going to happen to it. Yeah, this is what, it's going to be bad, the planet's (sighs) going to be destroyed. What are we going to do? You have 24 hours to find a way out of this or we all die. Let's spend the first hour trying to fight this robot that we could have fought before we got on the ship. Yes, yes. Again, the FF are very unhappy that they are here. They are not happy we dragged them here, and they try to fight the robot, which does no good. It is impervious to everything. We do see as they're trying to fight it, the, the Human Torch mentioned something we've never heard of before, and that's his Nova Flame. This seems like a bad idea. Reed agrees. It's a very bad idea. But it's something that we'll do. We'll see more and more of. He Basically, he says that he can increase his flare to fever pitch to attain the greatest heat in the universe. Boom, boom, boom. Reed basically tells him, you can't do that. If you do that, you'll destroy everything. <laughs> you'll kill us too, you idiot. This is something he will use. It will become part of his power set whenever he needs to be really hot. He'll use his Nova Flame. In this case, Reed wants him to stomp and Johnny doesn't hear him. So Sue Storm, using her power of invisibility as well as she normally does, decides the best way to get him to stomp is to stand in front of the robot invisibly. And yell his name. And yell his name. And then turn visible at the last possible second. Johnny comes within a foot of her. If he was as hot as he is supposed to be. She has no skin left. Exactly. (laughs) The one time you want Johnny to see you as soon as possible, why would you be invisible for so much of that? I don't like it. The point is that the fighting is pointless. They can't hurt the robot, and they're stuck on this planet until they figure a way out of it. So Reed says, take me to your lab, and I'll figure a way out of this. These comics used to be twice as long as they are now. No, they just feel that way. You don't have the decompression that you have in today's comics. There's no, you know, every panel has a ton of text, and the panels are generally small. Yeah, we really need to wrap this up. The FF are creating something. We don't know what. Everybody's basically helping Reed. And Reed finally shows Kurgo what it is he's made. It's reducing gas. And he shrinks a couple of planet Exians down to itty bitty 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 tiny size. And he says, what we're going to do is we're going to shrink you all down to itty bitty tiny size. There's like five billion of them, isn't there? Yeah, so you can all fit on one spaceship. And then we'll take the other one. 
You five billion take that spaceship. The four of us will take this spaceship. And we'll give you, I'll have enlarging gas as well. I'll give you enlarging gas. You can take the enlarging gas and use it when you get to your new planet. You'll all get back to your normal size. Alley, alley, poof. Everything's good. I like how we whipped up a reducing ray in like an hour or so. As you do. Kurgo says, this is great. I like what you've done with the place. You can take the other spaceship and go home. So the FF run to the other spaceship. They have to deal with some destroying planet stuff. And they head home. Meanwhile, all the planet Exians are being shrunk and going on to their one remaining spaceship. And Kurgo has the only canister of the enlarging gas. And he's not going to let anybody else have it because his plan is to be the only one who gets to use it. When they get to the new planet, everyone else stays shrunk. He'll be huge and he will be their emperor forever, unlike now when he's their emperor. I don't think he's thinking this through. (laughs) Really? I feel like he'd be kind of lonely as the only giant person. Well, also, we've had no indication in this comic mm-hmm. that his people dislike him <laughs> that they're turned or on want him or to replace him. Yeah. So I'm not sure why he thinks this is necessary. He'll have, and you're right, it would be so inconvenient to, besides lonely, like, oh no, I stepped on another 300 of my subjects. <laughs> right? Well, it doesn't matter because he's struggling and struggling with this canister and he doesn't make it to the ship in time and it blasts off without him. Yes. If he would leave the canister, he could make it to the ship, but he won't leave the canister. So the ship leaves without him, which suggests maybe his people don't like him very much since certainly they must notice he's not on the ship. He's the one person you'd probably notice is not there. Right, right. But it turns out it doesn't matter anyway because Mr. Fantastic is a huge dick. (laughs) (laughs) There actually was no enlarging gas. (laughs) Am I going to have to bleep that now? Nope. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Fantastic's like, they say... Um, they're like, oh, that was nice for you. He's like, yeah, sure, nice. I never made it. Right? Yeah, they're like, how gas. do you know the enlarging gas will work? He's like, oh, it won't work. There was no enlarging gas. I just told them that. Look, I made reducing gas in, an, in, in less than a day. How can I make enlarging gas as well? Yeah, what's the big deal? Five billion people land on a planet. At least it's a planet. doesn't matter if it's yeah. overrun with giant flowers and animals and... <laughs> Well, as Reed tells us, in this vast universe of ours, one size is only relative anyway. All right, Reed, how about we shrink you down to two inches tall and see how you like it? Sure, yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a O. Henry type ending. Yeah. It's a little bit of an ironic kick there at the end. Yeah, except that they all lose. (laughs) Except for the Fantastic Four. We have some problems with this, with this reducing gas, though, because... This ship that they all these guys are they, these little tiny people are getting on was is, constructed for them at normal size. Sure, yeah. How do they even operate this ship? Can they operate right, this how ship? How many thousands of people they need to turn the steering wheel? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure. All right, everybody, run to the left. <laughs> yeah, we, we have some problems, but we can talk about this a little bit more when we finish because now we want to talk about the letters page. Fantastic Four fan page. Woo! Woo. One letter writer asks us if the thing's brain was affected by the cosmic rays, and that's why he's such a meanie right now. That is from Warren Jacobs of Yonkers. Yonkers. And they say, I don't know, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know. We're just kind of winging it. (laughs) Exactly. We don't know. There's no famous people on there, are there? No, I don't believe so. In an answer to another letter, we are told that Reed and Sue are good friends, and Ben's just a pilot that they hired on. Later, obviously, they will strengthen as as they begin to make, you know, everybody talks about the Fantastic Four being a family, but I don't think that was at all what they were envisioning in 1961. Obviously, later, and even just later within, I believe, the comics we're reading, they will start to strengthen those familiar ties, and we'll find out that Reed and Sue are more than just friends. I could have sworn in the first issue they were engaged. Well, that's a good point. I, well, I just, They've gotten worse. <laughs> well, that was before she met Submariner. 
Well, yeah. Now she's lucky. He lets she lets now Reed's lucky. She lets him sleep in the same house with her. I guess we do find out that Reed and Ben were college roommates, college roommates, and, yeah. and very good friends. But that also explains why when we saw Doctor Doom in issue number four, Ben Grimm wasn't like, "Hey, I remember him." Because at that point in time, he hadn't gone to school with Reed. Now he has gone to school with Reed. So in the future... Well, I'm sure they were in different tracks, too. I'm pretty sure Ben wasn't in the science program. So probably didn't run into him very often. And Reed wasn't in the (laughs) test pilot program, which I think is what Ben went to college for. Basket weaving. Another reader asks that they add another member to the Fantastic Four, perhaps a wizard or an alien. (laughs) (laughs) I don't... I don't... Here it is. It's Sal Anzaldi of Pumpton Plains, New Jersey. He says, This new member could be a scientific genius and assist Mr. Fantastic, or a wizard who uses magic to fight crime, or perhaps an alien from space. Ranger, cavalier. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... it just Barbarian, seems, thief, and acrobat. <laughs> it just seems so odd to me in this day and age that you'd be like, Yeah, why don't you throw in... But I guess at this point in time, there were no rules, so you could have put anybody you wanted on the team. I mean, look, at least Fantastic Five is still alliterative. Exactly. I mean, they can add one more. And if we learned about anything from What If Number One, or first series, when Spider-Man joined the Fantastic mm-hmm, Four, mm-hmm. you can do that. Fantastic yep. Five. Rusty and Larry Bush of Forest Hills, New York, believe they should rename the Fantastic Car the Fantastic Tub. <laughs> I think we mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like it. They also tell them that their wisecracks are ick. Poor Stan. Little do they know that 400 years after this was written, Stan would be dead. It's <laughs> just getting started. Alrighty, Roo. Normally we talk about where characters that are introduced in this issue go if we don't see them again in the in the first year. They're all dead. You might be surprised to know that we don't see Kurgo again in the first year. I was more surprised to know that he does make one more appearance in the Marvel Universe. What? In 1973, Len Wein brings him back for a Marvel 2-in-1 issue, where we find out that Spacebot saved Kurgo. How? <laughs> There's no plane or no ship for them to escape on. And apparently, Kurgo went to find his people, the former Exians. Now, I guess probably they call it like Planet Y or Planet Z. <laughs> the tiny Exians. And his people now have weapons that they can use to fight him off. Aren't they tiny? Apparently, the weapons are small but mighty. Hmm. Well, there are five billion of them. <laughs> yeah. So, Kurgo comes to Earth to try to get the thing to use the thing to get revenge on his people. But when he gets here, he finds out the Hulk is stronger than the thing. So, he's like, I'm going to use the Hulk. And the leader finds out about it. And he's like, you can't use the Hulk. He's my arch-villain. So, the two of them arrange a battle between the Hulk and the thing to see who's stronger. So, as you can see, Kurgo was brought back to do an issue where two heroes fight, but they wanted to give it a reason. Which, is it that hard to come up with a reason for the Hulk and the thing to fight that you have to drag this schmuck out of mothballs? That seems like every issue of Marvel 2 and 1. No, well, Kurgo boosts the thing's strength so he'll win. The leader says, hey, you cheated. The heroes manage to destroy his robot somehow, which I thought was impossible. His ship explodes. The heroes run away. Kurgo apparently dies again. And I still don't understand why anyone brought him back and he's not been back since. Well, no, he's dead now. We didn't actually see him die in this one. So, Jason, when you write your next comic for Marvel, you could bring him back. I'll keep that in mind. I'll go on my list. He'll be the new hate monger. I'll have to make a bigger hood for him, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jason, closing thoughts on the issue? No. I kind of like the idea of the ironic ending that I think they were going for. Yeah, it could have been done a little bit cleaner. Yeah, it doesn't quite gel, but I like what they were street what they were reaching for. Well, it's because we spend the first half of the issue like making fun of the team and doing that whole government thing. Like, there's so many pages that could have been cut out of here. We we talked in the early episodes about how Marvel 
in this in the 50s and early 60s basically did a ton of eight page anthology stories usually science fiction and or monster sure. with a often with an ironic twist ending that's what this is it, it's an eight pager that they put into 22 pages that's true the fantastic four do nothing with their powers that is important to the plot yeah, like, this, you could swap out any generic 1950s Marvel scientist with a pipe and, and elbow anyone. pads. This could have been Bruce Banner getting kidnapped out of the desert. And- yeah. Any, but, well, I mean, even non-super people. You know, this could be Nameless Scientist X from a, uh, from a 1960 mm-hmm. episode, yeah. issue of Tales to Astonish, and it would work just as well. The Fantastic Four are not important to this comic. This is like an MST3K episode. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> would you keep reading? No. Yeah, this is this is a rough one. Like I might, but I wouldn't have much enthusiasm about it. I mean, like you said, it has nothing to do with the team. It doesn't. I'm like, oh wait, it fizzled out already. That's the end of the Fantastic Four. Like they don't do anything. It's a fill-in. It's one of those we, which we used to see in the Avengers, where you're like, well, this is like a fill-in issue, but by the regular team. I mean, it's <laughs> completely pointless. They're all still here. They're just not doing anything. I mean, I know that we've said that continuity doesn't matter much in these early issues, and they don't. But this is just. I mean, it's even more pointless than the other issues around it. Well, the good thing about this, though, is aside from the government trophy, there is really no continuity here. Yeah. You, nothing happened that's going to you matter. Could, you could pull this issue out of there, like erase it from existence, and it would not matter. Yeah. Except that Galactus would now appear in issue like 47 instead of 48. <laughs> It would really mess up with the collectors. It really would. It would upset people. Hey, I got nothing else. I no. know that you probably would like to talk about this issue for another hour and a half, but... We're running think. long. No, actually, we kind of made up time there, didn't we? Yeah, that's all. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, what's our? I don't remember, it's been so long. What's our email address? Year One Comics? No, is that right? <laughs> I have no wow. idea. Hold on, hold on. I got it right here. It's Year One Comics. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is Year One Comics at Gmail dot com. You know, it's funny though, because we're recording all these episodes ahead of time. So if anybody wants to get in touch with us, like we don't care. Well, we do care. I mean, you can talk to us about, as I think everyone, we're not going to respond to any of this stuff until the next thing that we do. Well, as everybody that's listened to this knows. Since we keep talking about the Avenging Hour, a podcast we haven't done for almost two years at this point in time, I think that everybody knows we'll eventually get around to talking about anybody that writes into us. It'll just it'll be down the road somewhere. Yeah. Also, this would be great for people to let us know what they'd like to see us do next. Though we'll probably have decided that by the time next. by the time they hear this as well. There's a next. Yeah, Fantastic Four Year Two. <laughs> I gotta change the logo and everything. To change the email address. Oh yeah, the email address. It's year one comics at gmail dot com. And we have an Instagram. Yeah, it's just year one. Year one. Wait, hold on. Let me look it up. We, we are a finely tuned machine here. Oh, no, that's actually year one comics. As well. What are we going to do next time? Shh. Let's just let this one go. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.